The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello, thanks for joining us again for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today joining us, we have Dr. Quinn Capers, the fourth, who's the vice dean of faculty affairs and a cardiologist at The Ohio State University College of Medicine. Dr. Quinn has developed an implicit association test or IAT, which is an online tool to help measure unconscious bias. Dr. Capers, thank you for coming. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be here. The implicit association test, I did not develop it. Okay. It was, that's okay. It was developed by others, but we have used it to really learn a lot okay. about uh, about our physicians. Okay. Gotcha. What are the basis then for the test? Like what, why did the developers, do you think, create the test? So it was created by uh, a group of psychologists led by Anthony Greenwald and colleagues at the uh, University of Washington in Seattle. And they had been as social psychologists studying bias and what are some of the things that affect our decision-making for years? And so they were looking for a tool that could really give a good representation of unconscious associations. So we all know what we like and what we don't like. So they had been searching for a long time for a tool or a test that can give us a good indication of what are some of the unconscious preferences or unconscious associations. And they, they came up with this implicit association test, or IAT, and there's a lot of data showing that it's a valid test. So how does the test work? So the test is based on your reaction time to certain photographs. So if you go to the site to take the test, and your listeners can do that at projectimplicit.org. That's projectimplicit.org. I don't have anything to do with the test. I don't get any compensation or anything. I'm just uh, just putting that out there if somebody wants to take the test. And so what they'll find is that there's a menu of a lot of different tests you can take. You can take a test to see if you unconsciously have a bias against the elderly, against people of a certain race, religion, sexual identity, height, weight, etc. And what it's based on is your reaction time to certain photographs. So for instance, in the black-white race IAT, it will show you rapidly uh, moving pictures of a black person's face or a white person's face and instruct you to hit the keyboard key associated with either a good word such as love, joy, warmth, or bad words such as fear, violence, danger. And it'll instruct you to do that every time you see a white face. Then it'll flip it and ask you to do that every time you see a black face. And then it'll flip whether you're saying a positive or negative key with those faces. And then what it really measures is your reaction time. And so I'll just make up some numbers here for simplicity. If, for instance, it takes you 10 milliseconds to associate a white face with good and to associate a black face with bad. But then when it asks you to associate a black face with good, it takes you... 100 milliseconds. That delay means it's easier for your unconscious brain to associate a white face with good and a black face with bad than it is for your brain to associate a black face with good. And those results have been associated with uh, uh, several studies to uh, be associated with our behaviors. Now, let's say you take the test, you discover that you do have some unconscious biases. Is there anything that you can do to, I guess, try to deny us? Yeah, debias, if that's that's actually a word. Yes. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing at our medical center and at other medical centers who are really interested in making sure that we're treating everybody fairly. So the psychology and the psychiatry community is split about whether or not you can actually change your biases. Some feel like you can. Others feel like, you know, they, these are hardwired and you can't change them. But what everybody agrees on is consciously you can override them. So you can consciously override uh, your unconscious mind. In fact, I, I like to say in a wrestling match between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind, it's not even a fair fight. Your conscious mind will win every time. So if you know what your biases are, you can consciously uh, override them. 
And there, there are a few exercises that we can all do that, that we talk about at the workshops that we, that we do at The Ohio State University. So, Dr. Capers, where do our unconscious biases come from? So neuroscientists will tell us that uh, our brains are bombarded by 11 million stimuli a day, which is a lot of stimuli. You can imagine if you tried to sit and contemplate each of those, you'd never get anything done. You know, right. you'd, be, you'd be paralyzed with overstimulation. So the vast majority of them you ignore, but your unconscious brain is always recording. So your unconscious brain is catching all of that. And in an attempt, and this is the theory, in an attempt to be useful to you, what your unconscious mind does is to try to cut down on some of those stimuli by associating them. So things that are often seen together, your unconscious mind will associate as one. So just a a very innocent example, if every time I have seen a tiger, say on uh, watching some wildlife show or going on a safari or in a cartoon or in a film, if every time I've seen a tiger from my birth, that tiger was devouring something in a way that I found frightening, then my unconscious mind would make that connection. Tiger equals danger. Now, of course, consciously you could figure that out, but your unconscious mind works a lot faster than your conscious deliberative mind where you're actually doing some conscious thought. And so it's thought that your brain's ability to do this, to associate these things, is actually mostly protective. And it developed to protect us and is one of the reasons that humankind has survived. So does the, does the conscious mind come in when it starts to think about the things that the unconscious mind has soaked in? When it starts to rationalize, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of it in, in this example, but maybe this isn't so innocent. Like, if I see six white people in line buying Sour Patch Kids, I'm not going to think about that. But if you ask me, are Sour Patch Kids, is that something you associate with white people or black people? Well, subconsciously, I, I saw six white people buying Sour Patch Kids at the movie theater. So maybe now that I'm thinking critically about it, maybe that's how I associate it. Like, is that how it works or no? I think you're on the right path. But essentially what it's about, and the way I like to think about it, is it's about the speed. So it just is a lot slower for your conscious mind to be deliberative and to think about things and to reason and be rational. As really? A, because people seem to be quick to, uh, yes, these days yes. people seem to be quick to just blurt something out or feel a certain way. Yes. Yeah, I understand. But we're talking about seconds of like, you know, okay. about All right. times of like milliseconds. And okay. so, whereas your unconscious mind, it's a reflex. It's like that, that reflex that happens so very quickly. And so what we know is there's good information that tells us when we are most vulnerable for our unconscious minds to uh, drive the bus, so to speak. And those are times when we are tired, when we are uh, overloaded, when we're stressed out, when we are thinking about three things at once. You know, uh, there's a tendency to think we can do a really good job multitasking, but, but actually data shows that when you're multitasking, when you're doing four things at once, you're doing each of those things less well than if you concentrated on one at a time. But when our brain, when our cognitive mind, uh, when our rational thinking mind is overloaded, those are times when your unconscious mind, these unconscious associations kind of drive our behavior. So getting back to your line of work specifically, just because somebody has a bias, how does that translate if, let's say, in the healthcare field? I'm a patient in a hospital or some medical facility. My doctor or my nurse, let's say they have a negative biases towards African-Americans. Just because someone thinks something, does that mean that the care I get is going to be any different than if a white person had the same nurse practitioner or doctor? I guess. So what I'm saying is, do these biases actually surface in real life and do they actually have an impact on people's lives? And so the answer, the answer is sometimes yes, uh, and that sometimes uh, is even too much because if there's one field where we want to treat everyone equally, it is in healthcare. 
And so uh, there are studies that show that these unconscious biases, even down to the results on these implicit association tests, have been associated with discriminatory actions. So let me give you a couple of examples. One of the most widely quoted one is the use of a drug that stops a heart attack. And so in this study, they had uh, doctors uh, take several of these implicit association tests, and then they gave them a scenario. They showed them a picture. They said, this is a patient that comes in and they're having a heart attack. Would you treat them with this drug that stops the heart attack? Uh And what they found was that uh, many of the physicians were less likely to treat the African-American than they were the white person. And then they went back and correlated it with their results on the IATs, and it was those who had the pro-white, if you will, or anti-black bias that were less likely to treat the blacks with this life-saving drug. And so if you think about the implications there, the implications there are... are, It's life and death. Yes. Yes. Now, let me add quickly, that does not mean that in every case, uh, you know, nothing is 100%. Right, because everybody has some level of, of bias, right? Oh, yeah, we all have we all have implicit biases. But but I just want to be quick to point out that nothing is 100 percent. So a doctor might have an implicit white race preference or an implicit black race preference. That doesn't mean that that's going to affect their decision making. But the uh, potential is there that it can. And studies have shown that it can. And if it happens even once, that's too much. And just as a teaser, Scott and I took your test that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. We'll we'll unveil the results and talk about those near the end. But I wanted to know, do organizations where race and bias really come into, you know, become an important part of the job? Such I'm thinking of policing, fire and EMS, government, you know, when you're especially local government. When you have to represent, you know, your entire population, are these groups using the the IAT or these implicit tests to to determine bias that exists? So you probably remember hearing over the last uh, five years, there have been several uh, incidents widely reported on, like the Starbucks uh, incident where a group of blacks were in Starbucks. They didn't order anything. They were just kind of having a meeting there, which you can do. I think they were brokering a real estate. (laughs) Right, right. Which you can do in Starbucks. And the police were called and actually came out because they were black. And so, you know, that hit the news. And I think the CEO or the president of Starbucks said, "Okay, but we need to have some implicit bias training. And I think they even shut the coffee shops down uh, nationwide. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to do some implicit bias training. And you also, I, I know you can't, we can't escape it because uh, sometimes, uh, tragically, it seems to happen every month. We see these instances where an unarmed uh, a black man is shot and killed by a police officer. And when you hear that, there's an uproar. And then you hear that, that one police academy or another police academy is going to start using implicit bias in their training. Now, whether or not when they say implicit bias training, they mean they're going to use these IATs because that would only be one aspect of quote unquote training and implicit bias. I don't know. But to answer your question, yes, we do hear about some police departments, some city councils uh, using uh, implicit bias training, which and I think is very positive. I would be interested to know what major metro departments across the country because I know in Columbus, there's not an implicit bias test for police and fire cadets entering the academy. There's a lot of testing on how they handle mental health situations with people, but there's not a lot of... Uh, which is also positive. Which is also positive, and, and that those are great strides, but there's there's not anything implemented into the pre-screening, if you want to call it that, or at any point, you know, where they scan for implicit bias, and it seems like, you know, maybe that would that would at least help them identify some areas where they need to de-bias some of their Even if they do, let's say Mm -hmm. you give someone in the hiring process, uh, you have the candidate take this test. It comes out that they have some type of of biases. Should that be a factor to exclude someone from the hiring process? So I would say absolutely not. So 
again, remember, we have uh, we're talking about here unconscious or implicit bias, which really is only based on your brain is basing these associations on things that you've seen your whole life. So it's all about you and the stimuli that you've been taking in your whole life. So there's nothing about an implicit bias that makes you a bad person. There's nothing about having an implicit bias that you should be ashamed about. And so, as is often said, the IAT is not a report card on your soul. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. If there was a test we could take to see if somebody has an explicit or a conscious bias, hmm. then you might want to use that in hiring, but not not a test of the unconscious bias. Got you. What is the difference? How, however, I, I would say that, that it would be useful to use just in training. You know, not to say, oh, well, you've got this bias, we're not going to hire you. I think that would be the wrong way to use it. But to use it, uh, say, we've got a workforce now, and we want to be sure that we're treating everybody fairly. So we're going to use it to see what is the level of unconscious bias in our organization and how can we go about debiasing. But absolutely not to use it in any uh, kind of hiring process. What is the difference between having a, a bias towards one group and being prejudiced? Are they the same or... Because I usually I, I think a lot of times when people hear bias, it means, you know, basically you're inclined to feel one way or another towards a group. But isn't that kind of the same thing as being prejudiced for or against another group of people? So that's a great question. When people hear bias, when we hear it has such a bad connotation that people automatically recoil and say, no, not me. I'm a good person. I'm not uh, I'm not biased. Implicit bias or unconscious bias is quite different from explicit bias. So as we usually say, implicit race bias is not the same as racism. The difference has everything to do with your awareness and your control of those feelings. So, so you're talking about the, con- <clears throat> now you're talking about the conscious part. So yes. unconsciously, you could have a bias against a race, but consciously when you're put in a position to act or reveal, you know, to outside of yourself to people about how you feel about that group, then that's the conscious part. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Implicit race bias is not the same as racism. Implicit gender bias is not the same as sexism. The isms, as I like to say, those are conscious biases. Gotcha. If I, uh, uh, for instance, have a, a negative feeling about a certain race of people, and I know that I'm aware that I have that feeling. That's not implicit bias at all. That is uh, that is an explicit bias. Now, in the same human, the implicit and the explicit can go in the same direction. But what makes this really insidious is that they don't have to. Someone can really be pure hearted and egalitarian in their thinking. You know, we're all equal. We're all human beings. We should all love each other. That can really be what's in your heart. But your unconscious mind, based on all the stimuli you've taken in all your life, might have formed these patterns that will have an unconscious negative bias towards a certain group. So this is kind of the base layer of your psyche then that you're talking about this this unconscious bias or this implicit bias. This and then but once you're aware of of the groundwork that you have, it's what you do with it. That is correct. Again, I, I can't stress enough that it is it is quite possible and easy actually to override your unconscious biases consciously, but it does take effort and it does take attention. So what are what are some of the things or do you know of some of the things that are often have to be overridden in the workplace when like once this stuff is discovered, how is it overridden? It is it can't be just as simple as, okay, I'm aware of this now. I'm just going to fix it. Like I would I would imagine there has to be some kind of infrastructure or system put around the. Well, so what we spend a lot of time talking about is in one-on-one situations, and there are there are several strategies. So I, I like what you, you mentioned. You're talking about a system because a system can be unconsciously biased against a certain group. But here, mostly, we've been talking about individuals uh, having their unconscious biases. And so there are different strategies to overcome systemic 
unconscious biases. You know, an organization or institution might think that they are set up to be fair, but really they're not. But we spend a lot of time talking about the individual implicit biases. And so there really are a few mental exercises that can be very helpful and have research behind them. So the research proven strategies to reduce or mitigate implicit bias that we go over at our workshops, uh, one of them is called common identity formation. And this one takes advantage of the fact that we all belong to certain groups. And when I say groups here, I don't mean a race or gender. I mean groups like middle child, oldest in the family, grew up on a farm, etc. It turns out if you're in that group, you automatically have a bond with others who are in that group. And simply finding that out can reduce your unconscious bias against that person. So then that means what we all need to do is interact with each other a little bit more and find out who you are. You know, I like music. You like music? I like the Cleveland Cavaliers. You like the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah, yeah, finding I, out I, I like them. The, yeah, there you go. So, so finding that out then reduces the unconscious bias sure. that I have against you. Another, another strategy that works really well uh, in the healthcare setting is what psychologists refer to as consider the opposite. When you have gone through information and you think you're ready to draw a conclusion, call a timeout and go back through the information again, this time looking for evidence uh, for the opposite conclusion. Uh, quick examples. So we work in medical school admissions. If I read an applicant's uh, application, I think I have evidence here to tell me that this student just they're not going to cut it academically in medical school. Well, that's what the first pass. Now let me call a timeout. Now let me go back to the file again, this time looking for evidence for the opposite conclusion. So let me reread the letters of recommendation looking for key terms like he's a good critical thinker. Let me re-review the list of experiences looking for the ones that show incredible resilience that tell me that this person is not a quitter. When he Mm. fails, he gets right back up. So now after doing that mental exercise, now I make a decision and that can actually reduce any impact of an unconscious that, bias. That, that is a have. mental exercise that yeah, not a lot of most us do. people are not going like to do. Like we, we don't often, and you're, you're not, <laughs> well, you you're not to. ever taught to do that. You're just taught to, in fact, you're taught to make it kind of a, you know, if you got, if you have a quick, quick judgment snap decision, yeah. you know, like people kind of admire that rather than, you know, like, okay, let me, let me flip my brain basically and see if there is evidence. Like you just mentioned that this person is qualified. We don't do that exercise a lot. You're right. You're right. And, and that's why one of the things I said, uh, while it is easy to override our implicit biases, it does take work. Sure. And it does take attention and it does take time. So in our in our world here in journalism, you know, bias is a huge thing. Yes. We're constantly a lot of times we get accused of being biased by when we write a story that the people read and they don't agree with the angle of the story. So, you know, they're in turn bringing their own bias to the story. But nonetheless, this is a discussion that we have on a daily basis. And I would be interested, you know, as journalists, you know, besides taking this test, what should we do? Because we all have, I mean, I have a completely different upbringing than Scott does, or Scott did, and we're bringing different sets of implicit bias. But when you sit down to write, it's just you, the individual, who is in your own brain, you know, with the people you've talked to, the people weighing in from either side, getting both sides of the story and then writing it. But you're still, I would imagine, bring some implicit bias into that article, whether you realize it or not. Yes, I agree. And I think it would serve all of us well, not just journalists to uh, you have to sometimes we have to force ourselves to be exposed to people who think differently from you. If you think about cable news, we have polar opposites uh, in, in some cable news shows and I won't say their names rather than picking your favorite one and watching that one all the time. And so now you're in kind of a bubble. Force yourself to watch the other one every once in a while, um, because uh, even though they might be uh, what you think uh, diametrically opposed to your views, I bet every once in a while you say, well, actually, they have a good point there. So we all can, I think, benefit by spending time with people who are not like us, who don't think like us, 
who have a different background. And then I think that would actually come out in the writing uh, if a journalist uh, was to force uh, him or herself. Well, now, on that point, you're kind of standing in the eye of the storm here and saying, because it seems like, you know, the country is becoming more polarizing, more, you know, more retreating to their ideologies very quickly and not accepting another viewpoint. So basically what this is trying to get them to do is kind of unpack that a little bit and maybe create a more space and, and once in a while accept a different thought or use it to analyze your own thoughts. Absolutely. And if I can bring it back to healthcare uh, just for a moment, you know, there's a very well done study that looked at doctors and asked doctors to rate how comfortable they are treating patients of different backgrounds, different races and ethnicities. So the doctors answered the questions and then the researchers went back and looked at the diversity in the student body of the medical school they attended. And it turns out that if they attended a diverse medical school, they were more comfortable treating patients of diverse backgrounds than if they attended a medical school that was not very diverse. So really bringing home this concept that uh, if we are around people who are not like us, you know, we get away from, you know, get out of the bubble and spend time with people who are not like us, we're going to see traits that we admire. And then that can, uh, that can not only make us more comfortable consciously, but uh, even unconsciously around people who are not like us. But Dr. Capers, instead, like, why do, why do you think people get, instead of accepting or, or thinking critically about another viewpoint and how it falls on you, why do people instead get angry? You know, like you can't, I know in, in my house, you can't even bring up some of the stuff in politics, like, cause it'll just lead to an argument. It makes just people angry to even, to even discuss it openly or be challenged by it. Why do people instead default to anger instead of, doing what is a very reasonable request and, it, you know, kind of looking at takes, it from all it sides. It takes work. It takes but, effort. But, but to, anger is work. I mean, there's a lot of work in anger, too. But anger is emotion. To take the time to, to think thoughtfully, to do research, to I, I think that takes a lot more effort. And in the moment, it's a lot easier. To, and plus, a lot of people get, I think, defensive about when they have beliefs and those beliefs get challenged and they don't really have a, a response for that. They just sort of get defensive and they get upset and maybe not in all cases. But I think, you know, well, I don't know. You're the doctor. but That's just my my thoughts. No, no. I'm, I mean, I was listening because I think you're I think you're right on uh, to, to answer your question. I think it's because prejudices and discrimination um, have been so harmful. I mean, people have lost their lives. They've lost the ability to, to rise, to, to have the American dream. And so it may be natural that if somebody is espousing an opinion that is promoting a certain policy that goes against my group, I'm immediately thinking about the worst possible outcome that, hey, listen, people have died with this. And then you then you get very emotionally sure, charged yeah, yeah, uh, yes. and, and you're and you're much less likely to say, well, let me really try to understand where you're coming from, because you actually might have some good points or you might have a good reason for feeling that way. So the bottom line is it takes time, though, <laughs> that takes time and patience to say, let me really listen to what this person is saying. But uh, what we're saying and, and want to promote is that that's got to be a no-brainer in medicine. If you're going into medicine or the healthcare profession where people are literally putting their lives and their well-being in your hands, uh, you've got to have tools to be able to slow things down, even in an emergency, to slow things down and to, to make sure you are really uh, treating people equally. I've actually read some data that says that in some cases, doctors will prescribe less pain medication to African-American patients because there's this belief that black people can tolerate pain better. That goes back to the days of slavery, that black people don't feel pain in the same way white people do. 
before you get out of here, I just want to talk about the IAT. Lucas and I both took the IAT. And I got to be honest with you, Doc. I was a little shaken by my results. So I have my results here. I'm not. I'm not surprised. He's a hater, so don't pay any attention so, to him. So now, as a doctor, before you go on, I have to remind you okay. that there's this federal law called HIPAA. Okay. So you do not have to. Uh, release this it's, information, I but am, you're, you're choosing to. I, I appreciate your thoroughness. It's okay. I'm, I'm willing to share this with the world. Thank you. Uh, and doctor, you be honest. Don't sugarcoat your assessment. You, he's really just mean towards me. He wants no, he can do it to me, him. too. Okay. Okay. So the test says that I show a slight automatic preference for white people over black people. European Americans over African Americans. Yes. That's so, what the test is about. The first thing that came to my mind was... One, I was not aware of that at all. I don't know. Does that mean that I have some level of self-hate? That's what I thought. Does that mean on some level I don't like myself? I don't like black people? What is that? I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting. Go ahead, doctor. <laughs> okay. So, so so first of all, let me say uh, thank you for thank you for sharing that. that. That's really important. The second thing I want to say is, is, like we've already said, so this is your unconscious mind, and it's based on everything you've seen in your whole life up to the time you took that test. Okay. All it means is that your unconscious mind finds it easier to associate a white face with good things and a black face with bad things. Well, I don't now, feel like I I don't think that way. Like be, in my head, I don't I don't think that way. So these are your unconscious thoughts. So you're not you're not even you're not even aware of these. And the last thing I want to say is you are in good company. So the keepers of this uh, website uh, do a lot of research on it and uh, the the latest research that they saw with millions, many Americans and even uh, internationally people taking this test, 70 percent, seven out of 10 people have uh, an automatic preference for whites uh, over blacks, seven out of 10 test takers. And so you've got a lot of company. All it means is that, you know, think about it. Movies you've seen, books you've read, comic books, what you see on the news, what you read, what you heard about in school, conversations you had. All of that leads up to your unconscious mind having the results that you saw. Now, what does that mean in in terms of how you consciously feel? We don't know. In fact, how you consciously feel very often is completely opposite to your unconscious mind integrating these stimuli you saw. So it is not unusual for a black person to have an unconscious pro-white anti-black bias because it's really hard to grow up in this Western world with all the images that we see and not have a reflexive a negative reaction uh, to somebody with uh, with dark skin. However, your conscious actions might completely ignore those unconscious associations or they might be influenced by them. And uh, now that you know about it, there are some exercises that you can do. You got to get to work. So, Lucas. Yeah, I had the opposite results. In fact, not even opposite. I mean, but it worries me a little uh, bit uh, what, uh, what the doctor just said. But I had a moderate preference to African-Americans over European-Americans unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Now, you mm-hmm. just told Scott consciously, uh, he's, you said uh, oftentimes people have the opposite conscious views. Yes, yes, they could. Or, so under so that, look, I'm okay. Uh, I, I would love to explore. Like, so unconsciously I feel one way and consciously I could feel another, although I don't feel like I feel that way. But it's interesting to think about that. Sure, but you may not. And, and so let me say this, since we're talking about the IET, many, many studies back up the IET and its validity. But some have challenged it. So just like every almost all the tests we use in healthcare, you will find occasionally a test that uh, a study that says, well, this test doesn't do what we think it does. So so there are some tests that uh, challenge uh, the IAT and its premise. What they challenge when you look at most of those is they challenge uh, how 
those results have anything to do with your behavior and whether or not there's anything you can do about those results. But I think what people agree on is it is a simple result that shows that your unconscious mind finds it easier to make this or that association. Mm. I still don't like having a, a negative reaction to a group of people that I belong to that I don't know. Yes. I mean, I know. That you, I mean, y'all not going to solve this for me here. I probably need therapy or something. But no, you do. But it has it has so much to do with with uh, the environment in which you grew up because it's about the stimuli you've seen. Had you grown up grown up in a different environment in a different culture where people with uh, dark skin are mostly or always shown positively, then I bet you would have different results. Okay. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for trying to make me feel better. <laughs> unlike some people. Well, I just want to thank you for coming in and, yeah, and talking to oh, us. Oh, thank you. This has been fun, guys. And um, this is this has really been informative, I think, not only personally, but just, you know, for, for all our listeners out there. Because like you said, everybody has, has these biases and it's, it's really being aware of them and then taking steps to, to try to correct the, the, the bad. Yeah, I mean, the, what have. the doctor said, just thinking critically a little bit about your thoughts yeah. and, and seeing and examining the other side of things. I mean, that message, we should all get that message on a daily basis, I think. it's We're just instead, it's so ingrained in us to be quick to react. Yes. And I just want to add, by the way, that uh, Lucas and I took the black-white race test, but there are a yeah, bunch there, of there, other tests a, on there, gender, there. age. Yes. Uh, so I encourage everybody, go to the website, take the test. Yeah, it's like 10 minutes. Yeah. It doesn't take, Yeah, you can find things out about yourself in 10 minutes. Absolutely. And, and I highly recommend, we usually recommend uh, that, uh, that that many people will take these tests. It really is an interesting uh, um, uh, journey into self-awareness. So, so if I may, a few things I'd like to say as we as we finish up. Number one, we spend a lot of time talking about implicit race bias, but there there's a bias for just about everything you can think of. I mean, we have biases against people who look older, who are tall, who are heavy, who are uh, I even younger. Disabled. Yes, yes, who dress a certain way. Um, and so um, uh, we all have biases, uh, but they're implicit and uh, you can't overcome them. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. So I always need to say that. So please, no one. I say it in the workshops we give. You're not allowed to feel bad about any results you get on an IAT. And then the last thing I want to say is, is again, make the uh, statement that in healthcare, this is so critically important. We train our medical students and our senior leaders at our College of Medicine to um, to learn about bias and to uh, uh, practice these strategies for overcoming uh, our implicit bias. We really want to treat everybody fairly. All right. Well, thanks again, Dr. Capers, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we want to thank you out there for listening. Don't forget, we love to hear from you. So check us out on our Facebook page. It's, it's pretty nice, if I must say so myself. It's Facebook slash group slash Other Side Podcast. Or you can also find us on Twitter at Other Side underscore POD. And don't forget, you can also review us uh, in the uh, iTunes store. So uh, make sure you leave us a, a review. And um, for everybody else out there, take time to see things from the other side. Thanks. Thank you.